Good morning, Soma Church. I hope this second day of August finds you thankful and blessed, and I hope that you've been able to enjoy the good weather. We don't get that often. Hey, last week we tried to give it, uh, get together and praise God in the same place, and I think it went well. Uh, for those of you who weren't able to join us, uh, I hope you're praying for us as we were praying for you. For the next few weeks, uh, we're going to keep doing that. It seemed to go well. So make sure you look at your text and your newsletter regarding the details of that, the time. Hey, I also want to encourage you, especially during this time, to do your best to pursue God by yourself and with the people you're able to be with. Seek encouragement from God's Word. Seek Him in prayer. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. And while you're praying, would you pray for us as we're trying to figure out how, how to go forward? We need your prayers. So let's pray together before we get started. Father, we thank you for our brothers and sisters around the world, and we pray that you'll bless them. Please bless your church. Please bless us here at Soma. Please bless the churches around us. Father, uh, may we all be a people who glorify your name. May our, our worship to you today and days forward be heartfelt and pleasing to you. Father, we pray that you'd give us your wisdom, your eyes, to see what you see. Help us to feel what you feel. Help us to do what you'd have us to do. And we ask, Father, that you'd help our church to be one, just as you and the Father are one, Jesus. Please redeem these times of pandemic intentions to build your church. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you might know we've been in the book of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've put a theme on that called Flourish, um, believing that Jesus is teaching us the best way to live, how to prosper, thrive, and flourish. And so I'd like to give you the cliff notes in case you weren't a part of seeing all of that. <clears throat> Jesus said, if you're a person who's poor in spirit, poor in spirit, mournful, meek, if you hunger for righteousness, if you're merciful and pure in heart, be encouraged because you're his kind of people. Jesus said, if you're a person um, who has lied, cheated, or stolen, go make it right. He says, don't be shy to identify with his heavenly father. And when you do, expect to suffer. And when you do suffer, realize that God's going to reward you in heaven. He said, we're not sinful just by acting out sin. But even when our heart desires sin, it starts in inside. He said, we should mean what we say and say what we mean. Jesus said, um, if we're mistreated, to bless the person who mistreats us. In fact, he even said for us to love those who hate us because anybody can love those who love them, them, right? He calls us to be generous. Jesus even taught us how to pray. He said to pray for the Lord's will to be done, his kingdom to be built. And then to ask him for what we need every day, our 
told us we should be quick to forgive others and not hold grudges. He told us to live for what lies ahead in heaven because what we see around us is temporal. He spoke of a clear choice that we need to make between him, loving him, and loving money. He said he's committed to providing our basics, our basic needs, and that we don't have to fret and worry about those. He told us not to judge others, and he sternly warns us not to. And yet he said, be discerning. Remember, thing, uh, friends, in all these things, we don't go and do these things to be Christians. We act this way, as Jesus told us to, because of who we are, of our identity. We live out our identity. The scripture says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, old things pass away, new things come. So we act in the, in the manner that Jesus calls us to because that is who we are, not to be who we are. Turn with me to Matthew 7, and let's read together. As Janet reads, um, invite you to, as families to stand for the reading of God's word. Last time I preached, someone asked, was curious about why I asked people to stand, and I guess I'm just old-fashioned but I think it's a show of respect. It's something we do commonly when people enter the room and we're introduced, we stand. And so I think it's an easy thing, a way to help our children reinforce and respect the word of God. So, hey, this is a great passage today. It's great and exciting. And these words reveal three things that Jesus spoke. One, it shows us more of the character of our Heavenly Father. It's an invitation, and it's a monumental command. You know, even from a distance, well, I need God a lot. And even from a distance, when I see what's going on in downtown Seattle and Portland, people bent on destruction and rebellion, the, the non-peaceful protesters, it's hard for me to love them. I can't imagine being in a policeman or a business owner in that mess. The movement and belief is actively anti-God, in my opinion. Some are self-proclaimed God-haters. There's a movement in our city, state, and country afoot that's highly motivated and highly resourced. And if they get what they want, they will decide what they will allow us to do as worshipers. Our religious freedoms, I believe, will be threatened. And yet Paul says, hey, our struggle isn't against people, flesh and blood. Our struggle is against the principalities of the air and the spiritual forces at work. It's the belief system behind the movement that I can stand against. And you know, the problem throughout time and today has always been sin, and the only answer is the gospel of Jesus. Repentance and faith in the person and work of Christ. That's what's going to win the day. Friends, that's what we need to be bold about. And it doesn't appear COVID's going away. People around us are going to be testing positive. And so what's going to guide us? Fear? Worry? Judgment? Shame? Anti-gospel things? How does our faith apply? How does our theology inform us? Well, Jesus, in this passage, he gives us some really practical words really down to earth. 
ask, seek, knock. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Some read this passage as saying, God will give you whatever you want. It's carte blanche from Jesus. And Jesus isn't saying that at all. He makes a comparison um, to us as parents, or if you don't have, if you're not a parent, to those who parented you, saying like, like we are good parents and love our children, we care for them. God does the same thing, except one big difference. We're evil and he's perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. He's attentive. He responds perfectly every time. Just like a good parent who doesn't give their child anything they want all the time, I hope, God doesn't do that for us. So I'm, you or I might ask for, um, we're angry at somebody. We ask God to called an imprecatory prayer. It's the kind of prayers David prayed on his enemies. And we pray that kind of prayer. God, go get them. Get my revenge. And God says, now, I want to teach you forgiveness. That's way better. That's what you need. Or we might ask for more money, and God says, you know, I want to teach you how to steward what you have well and be content. That's way better than more money for you. Or... <clears throat> We might ask for our, for our kids to behave. And he says, no, I think I want to teach you patience just like I taught your parents patience with you. Or you might be a single person saying, I want a mate. I want a, I want a good mate. And God says, you know, we're going to hold off on that and help you become a good mate first. God gives always has the right answer and it's sometimes not what we ask for he promises he won't give us evil but sometimes we think we're asking for something good we're actually asking for the snake think of a child afraid of the dark and they ask their mom and dad mom or dad make the dark go away and mom or dad say no I won't make the dark go away but I'll stay with you until you're not afraid that's the presence of God that's asking seeking and knocking entering into his presence. God's presence does that. I've heard parents say to their children when they're throwing a tantrum, hey, I don't know what you want, but use your words. Jesus is kind of saying that here to the church. Use your words. Come to the Father. Ask him. See, to, to fulfill the things that I reviewed and the next statement, we can't do it without him. Asking, seeking, and knocking is seeking the presence of God so we can live and, and flourish. His best gift, he tells us twice, ask, seek, and knock in the passage, is to pursue the presence of God. That's his best gift, his presence. And in reality, he said we're evil, right? We're all about six feet from the ditch of sin. We're fickle, cowardly, and selfish. And we're led astray by the smallest things. It doesn't take much. Sometimes I think it's like sin is like a, a squirrel and we're like a dog. <laughs> Asking, seeking, and knocking is a habit. It's not a one-off. We need it continually. Let me give you an example. So 
uh, one of our family members was around a person who tested positive for COVID. So Karen and I decided we would get a test and we found a test we could take last Thursday in Olympia. So we're driving to Olympia and I am in the passenger seat and we're discussing this very verse, this passage. Ask, seek, and knock, and then the golden rule. Love others as you want to be loved. So in the middle of discussion, Karen says, hey, I'm kind of nervous. Uh, I really hope I test negative. And uh, I said, really? Because I kind of hope I test positive. And that's kind of the way things go in our house sometimes. But in her mind, she wants to test negative because she doesn't want the judgment that might come from others of, hey, how'd you, do, how'd you get that? What, were you irresponsible with the way you were living? Okay. So she's thinking of herself, not others. And I'm saying I want to test positive because I'm the one everybody says we need to worry about. Overweight, underlying health conditions, over 60. So I'm thinking, if I test positive, I have no symptoms, great day, right? Not even thinking of the quake it would cause the people around me. Justin even said, if I happened to have tested positive, we would have rethought meeting on Sunday, because I've been around people. See how quickly sin is crouching at my door? We had to stop, we had to pray, we asked the Lord, Lord, give us the the test results that you want that glorifies you and then please give us the resources to navigate give us the courage the wisdom to overcome fear and confusion in this passage of ask seek and knock jesus is on the sermon or he's on the mountain he's talking to his disciples his followers other people are listening in okay and how that applies to us is he's now speaking to his family those who have repented and put their faith in Christ. So if you want to be a person who can ask, seek, and knock and have the Lord treat you like a child, you need to be a child of God. The scriptures say, he came to his own, but his, the, his own received him not. But to as many as received him, he, became, he gave the right to become children of God. That's our first step. If you haven't made that first step, make it. Become a child of God. Now, in addition, when he's talking about asking, seeking, and knocking, here are three things that are really helpful that God would expect you to come to him as. One, he would expect you to be a person who's trying to walk in faith and obedience. This isn't a person who lives their own life and then is crying out to God in times of distress. This is a habit. Second, he's asked, he, he, he wants us to come to him unselfishly. In James, the scripture says, you don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives. You're asking selfishly. God is saying, come to me, but don't be selfish because I'll take care of you. I've got your back. And then he's, he wants those, he wants us to come to him in submission. Okay? Submitting to him, submitting to his sovereignty, submitting to his will, submitting to his commands. Those are the people he made this promise to. See, Jesus sought the Lord's presence every day. He didn't do anything without touching base with God on a regular basis. <clears throat> A 
As the disciples, disciples were filled by the Spirit of God after Pentecost, they changed the world. They went out and engaged the world. They were nobodies who told everybody about somebody. Okay? And that somebody was Jesus. And the people that responded were all ethnicities, male and female, rich and poor, young and old. It was everyone. And they were all around a common table. Okay? That's reconciliation. They were reconciled to God, and they were reconciled to one another. That's the reconciliation that the world is seeking. That's the reconciliation of God. Ask, seek, and knock is Jesus inviting us to approach a father who's a good father. He says, my father in heaven has your back. Now you can love others. That's the next verse. You know, after COVID and the election, there'll be something else to worry about, something else to steal our joy. Let's be a people that have a habit of seeking God and engaging the evil world with God rather than without him. Religious people try to do good things without God. Let's be a gospel people. Jesus, in the passage, he says it twice. He's doubling down, reinforcing his point that our pursuit of God needs to be a habit. Not just on a Sunday, a religious effort. Not just a half page of our daily bread in the morning. He's saying our pursuit of God should be ongoing. It should be diligent, persistent, with effort. It should cost us something. When we seek God, we petition him for a lot of things. One of them is wisdom. And the wisdom of God gives us the ability to interpret the world and interact with the world in the way he calls us to. So now we get to the second part of the passage, the golden rule. So Jesus lays this statement on them. Love others, treat others as you want to be treated, for this is the law and the prophets. Some call, think it's called the golden rule because there was a third century Roman emperor named Alexander Severus, who we don't know if he was a convert, but evidently he emblazoned in gold in his bedroom that verse. Therefore, the golden rule. Others say it's the golden rule because gold has universal value. This statement has universal value. People have used it for a long time in many places. Almost every religion has a form of it. Hindu, Buddha, Taoist, Confucius had a saying like it. Now, in almost all of those sayings, they've changed it. Instead of saying, treat others as you want to be treated, it's like karma. Don't do bad things so bad things don't happen to you. The other versions are, don't do bad things to others so they don't do bad things to you. See, that's a very selfish approach to the golden rule. That's changing it to make it about you. Jesus made it about them. He's saying, treat others the way you want to be treated. God says that we can fulfill that in his presence. The command is real. And it should guide us continually. 
He doesn't tell us to treat others how we should be treated. He doesn't, or he doesn't tell others, he doesn't tell us to, to treat others the way we should be treated. And he doesn't tell us to treat others the way we expect to be treated. He tells us to treat others the way we want to be treated. What motivates me, you? That's how we treat others. What encourages me, you? That's how we treat others. Do you want to be encouraged? Do you want to or be discouraged? Don't treat others that way. What brings out your best? What brings out your worst? Isn't it just like Jesus to take the most simple way of saying the most profound thing? My mom would quote this verse a lot. Um, but she left out what Jesus said just before it, which is how we fulfill the golden rule. The, the power to live the golden rule is from God. It's not from us. When Dawson spoke a couple weeks ago, he spoke about um, God as a judge and God as a good dad. And that's, that's the passage of Ask, Seek, and Knock. He's a good father who gives good things to his children who ask. Okay? So today I'm taking the end of that passage, Ask, Seek, and Knock, and saying that that is what loving God is. And by asking, seeking, and knocking, then we can fulfill the great commandment to love others as ourselves, to treat others the way we want to be treated. God loved us first. Asking, seeking, and knocking is us saying back to God, I love you. And then we're able to treat others the way we want to be treated. Hey, if we want to be a missional church, that's our playbook. Jesus said earlier in, in Matthew, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I said this is the Mount Everest of commands. He's the only one who scaled that mountain. His love and treatment of us, in spite of our sin, is that he died for us. What's he done? Well, we all want to be treated better than we deserve. Like I said, what I want is justice and mercy, and what I want to dispense is justice. We all want to be treated better than we deserve. My, when my kids would have a big test, and we would pray for their test, I would always pray, Lord, please allow the children to get the results according to their preparation and study. My kids will look at me like, what kind of prayer is that? I want a better grade than I deserve. Well, the truth is we all want a better grade than we deserve. We all want better than we deserve. And actually, that's what exactly what Jesus has given us. Like I said, if I'm honest, I want grace and mercy, but I want to dispense justice. And Jesus is saying, I'll take care of the justice. You dispense grace and mercy. Treat others the way you want to be treated. He gives us grace and mercy. He takes our justice. He treats us the way we want to be treated. We speak about justice. What do we deserve? Death. He took it. We deserve the punishment, but he gives us the righteousness of Jesus. That's the gospel. He is a good father. He has our back. Now we can love others as we want to be loved. Let's do it. I'll help you, and you help me. I love you.